Father, we give you thanks for another morning to be together, whether in person or online, and we thank you for this community that you've built and are building. We thank you for the work that you've done in us. Father, we pray for other brothers and sisters in the area who are gathering um, and worship and study of your word, and we pray that you would bless them, and I thank you that you're meeting them and convict and encourage them as well. We pray that work would happen in us, that we would be sensitive to your teaching and to your leading, that, God, we wouldn't approach your word with it all put together, but always wanting to know, God, what do you want to reveal to us? And so this is a revelation moment, God. I pray that you'd reveal truth to us. It's always you revealing, not us finding, but you revealing. May we be sensitive and open to what it is that you want to show to us. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. I found this article from just August 23rd of this year, and it's talking about loneliness within the United States of America. And you would think that with all the ways that we can connect, that that problem would have become less and less, but I feel like it's become more and more as I look at the statistics based upon generations. Okay, so I'm going to break through these, and they should be up here on the screen. Generation Z, those of you born from 1997 to 2012, which is really humbling because I, I, I graduated college in 97. Yeah, right? I couldn't remember. 97. So when you were born, if you're 97, never mind. Let's just class this. Hey, out of Generation Z, think about it, all the ways we connect. 65% sometimes or always feel lonely. 19% have no close friends. Millennials, 1982 to 1999. 65% sometimes or always feel lonely. 27% have no close friends. Generation X, it's us. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. This is, this is the greatest gender. I'm just joking, totally kidding. <laughs> it always becomes, isn't it weird? It always becomes competitive. Well, maybe it's just because it's me. But Generation X, uh, born 1961 to 81, 50% sometimes or always feel lonely. 33% have no close friends. And then baby boomers and plus. So if you're in the, if you're in the category born before 1961, catch it, 44% sometimes or always feel lonely. And 16% have no close friends. Now think about it. All the ways we can connect. Quote, unquote, connect. But what are we connecting? It's just quick bits of information, right? It's not really engage in conversation. It's just to go through, scroll. I like that. I like that. I like that top. You're pretty. Make a comment. Go through all the things. Hey, I posted what I ate. I posted what I drank. Hey, this is my family. Instead of us actually talking about our families, just post the picture. And hasn't it, isn't it weird that our culture has become this? If you post it, everyone's supposed to know about it. And then, and then all of a sudden, well, I didn't know that happened. Well, I posted it. Yeah, but I, I actually kind of have a life. I don't just always go through stuff of what people are posting. It used to be if something's happening, you call your friends, right? You, you call out or you reach out to people and you say, hey, this is what's going on. And we have conversations. And now it's just quick posts because we're always going, and this is the quickest way to get information out, but it's not the best way to get relationship out. Right? Isn't it amazing how quickly we can scroll through things? You ever notice how time just seems to go by so quick? The more we scroll through, and again, I'm not saying hey, social media is all sin. I don't have it anymore because I just don't want to be caught up into that. That's a personal thing. I don't think that the Lord said, tell everybody. I believe that's mine. And I know for some of you, this is the way you connect with people from back in the day. But here's the thing I want to ask you. Are you connecting with them in order to create relationship or just connecting them so that you can feel like you actually still know them but don't? Guys, I'm not surprised that we're more lonely. And yet God gave us what? 
The church. So what's the purpose of the church and what is the church? And if you've been part of this community at all, I'm hoping that you know this and actually you're starting to get a little bit annoyed because I keep bringing it up so often and I'll continue to keep bringing it up so often because I feel like we have this really bad definition of the church, at least here in the States, because that's the context that I understand. We think that a church is a place that you go to or an event that you attend, right? Are you going to church? Hey, you want to come to me with, you want to come with me to church? We've just turned it into the, the worship hour, or it's the building. I mean, think about it. You drive along, and how many of you have been in some gorgeous churches? Right? You've been in some gorgeous churches, and then even that mentality. And I'm with you. There's some, the older churches, I just sit and go, gosh, there is so much to this. Well, no, I wish I remember which church it was. I remember it was down in LA. I helped with a wedding, and it was massive, but it was all old school, dark wood. Just the, I mean, this big, huge steeple and this wedding was absolutely incredible, but I just walked in going, okay, this is gorgeous, but it's a building. That's not the church. We're the church. I mean, I know that we look around and we go, gosh, you guys really love blue. Like we're all about blue, like blue must be heaven's color. I mean, this church is like, no, this is a gym. And they just put the basketball hoop so that the kids won't knock you out when they come in and play with it. It's like, this is a gym that the church gathers in. Do you see the difference? But for decades, it's been go to a place, go to a place, go to a place, because that's the church. And so then we read scripture, we come across pages that talk about the church it's so easy to think of the worship gathering or the place rather than, hey, what has God called us to do as the church? Guys, my blueprint for the church is Acts 2, 42 to 47. I think that's what everyone's supposed to be doing. Try to find how to apply Acts 2, 42 to 47 because this was the church right when it started in its purest form. It says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. That word fellowship in the original, original language means association, communion, joint participation, a sense of intimacy, a gift, a jointly contributed, a collection, a contribution. Do you see anything in there that's talking about a place you go to? Or don't you see this intimate relationship between people? That the word for church, ecclesia, is what? A gathering of, a gathering of people brought together to fulfill a purpose. That's what it means. And here we come and say, okay, so what did it look like? And they were devoting themselves. This was, they constantly were devoting themselves. It wasn't a one-time thing. Devoting themselves to four key things. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, which is what we just talked about, to the breaking of bread, and that's my conviction, is, is the communion time, and to prayers. They devoted. This was what they kept coming back to. These were the foundational pieces in verse 43. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all, who were, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. And I'm going to put the word together into a couple places. I know it doesn't say it in the scriptures, but I think it's supposed to be applied there. Because this was the key word. When I read the passage, it's the word together. They were always together. And then what it seems like it's kind of turned into, it's like, well, if I've got some time, 
If I've got some time, I'll get together. But if not, at least we can scroll through each other's lives and all the while feel lonely. But getting together, this guys, they got together daily in the temple courts, every day. It's like, well, there's nothing else to do. And there's nothing else to do. There's nothing else to do, right? They got together daily. They, they met at each other's houses on a regular basis. I've also heard the other extremists, like if you're gonna be part of this discipleship time, hey, we're, it's a 10-week thing. If you miss more than two, you can't do it. I'm like, when did that become the norm? Can you imagine? It's like, okay, you can come to Easter, but if you miss two in a row, you're, you're out of the family. You can't play with us anymore. I don't understand that concept. Well, we need to see commitment. No, we need to see family. Because when we're connected and we're family, we actually want to be together. And when we have to bring up difficult topics, we can because we have relationship as family and not just duty. So as in day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes together, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts together, praising God together and having favor with all the people. I mean, everyone around him loved the church. People that didn't know Christ looked at the believers, looked at the followers, followers of the way, the first Christians, and loved them. I'm not quite sure that's the norm for today. It's like, well, Brian, the Bible says we'll be persecuted. Yes, and so were they. And yet at this time, they had favor with all the people. Well, Brian, this doesn't talk about outreach. I know, it talks about the church life. And yet God, look at God's response. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Guys, I'm convinced when we get our stuff together, when we act like the family that God wants us to act like, then he'll bless and he'll bring people in and he'll use us to go out. And remember, this is my one thing I bring up every time we go out before we finish. What's the one thing I say? Hey, God, show us who's the one. God, who's the one today or tomorrow or this week? Who's the one? What if we go back to grassroots things and trying to impact people, not just, not just communities, but people, because the community will be impacted when the people are changed, right? For me, the biggest word there is the word together. See, I want everyone in our church to feel a sense of together but it won't come from an attitude of mediocrity when it comes to the concept of community. It's like, well, I will, but I won't. I mean, I want to, but will you do this? And I will explain at the end, hey, here's some things that we've set up that we really do. We wanna get people together as much as we can because I believe that it's healthy for us to do that. And how is it that God builds community? But there's also this attitude Remember when you were in kindergarten, for those of you that are, as Chris said, more mature, maybe kindergarten is tough to remember for some, it is for me, I'm only 48, I barely remember what I had for dinner last night, but it's like, maybe it's a little difficult, but remember in kindergarten, it's like they drop you off at school and you have to what? Make friends. And then when it comes to Sunday mornings, it comes down to this a lot of times, well, nobody talked to me. Did you talk to anyone else? Because I just don't think a lot of people that if you go up and talk to them, they go, I will not talk to you. Back off. I don't really see that ever happen. Isn't it kind of a risk that both everyone has to kind of jump in? 
You have to take the, you have to, you have to initiate. And isn't it a risk that maybe it won't be reciprocated? Absolutely. But isn't that what we teach five-year-olds when they go into kindergarten? See, friends, I want to help us connect as much as we can. I just don't believe that God has called me, even as a pastor, to coddle and to make sure and to hold everyone's hand. But it's like, let's all do this. That's why we're going to lunch today. Let's just go to lunch. Ah, I don't like food. Really? Like, you really don't like food? I mean, we'll think of every excuse. Ah, I don't like food. I don't like driving. I don't like freeways. I get the freeway part. I don't, it's like, we'll come up with everything. I don't like air. I don't like sun. I don't like weather. It's like, we just take all these reasons of why we don't. And we keep sitting there going, so why do you feel like you're kind of alone? When there's a community that says we want to know you. And are we perfect at it? No. But we sure want to get better at it. Where does this come from, from Colossians? Look at verse 10 of chapter 4. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner. I like that. My fellow prisoner. And either he's in prison with Paul, or he's ministering to Paul while he's in prison, but he's associated himself. So he could be in prison because he's because he's doing the things that Paul is doing and he's been arrested with him. Some say that's what it was. Others say, no, 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 he's just kind of helping Paul. Whatever it is, Paul says he's my fellow prisoner. There's this relationship that he has. He says, hey, he greets you. Hey, he wants me to make sure that I tell you hello. And then Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And we'll get back to Mark because it seems like he spends a lot of time on Mark. Verse 11, and Jesus, who is called Justice. Yeah, you gotta change your name if your name's Jesus in that time, because Jesus, it's like all Paul's like, we're gonna call you Justice. Well, there's a Hebrew name and there's a Greek name, so just understand, of course, there might be different names, but, and Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Look at the key, the key words, fellow prisoners, fellow workers. When I looked up the English definition for fellow, here's one of the definitions, ready? A group of people meeting to pursue a shared interest or aim. What does that sound like? Church. Doesn't it sound like the church? Or at least what the church is supposed to be? In the 1950s, there was this British Bible translator named J.B. Phillips, and he said this. He said, it is impossible to spend several months in close study of in close study of the remarkable short book, this book would be the book of Acts, without being profoundly stirred and to be honest, disturbed. The reader is stirred because he has seen Christianity, the real thing, in action for the first time in human history. The newborn church was as vulnerable as any human child, having neither money, influence, nor power in the ordinary sense, is setting forth joyfully and courageously to win the pagan world for God through Christ. Rome, this massive power, this empire, the church outlasted it. Rome went up against the church, trying to persecute and kill Christians and martyr them. And, and what happened from it all? It's like, well, if we can stamp that out, and then they make it illegal to even have the scriptures. You can't read the Bible. And once we get rid of people reading the Bible and Christians, it'll all be fine. Roman as an empire fell, and the church continues. Do you see it? And yet, what was their whole goal? Their whole goal was to what? 
We're going to devote ourselves, the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. We're going to hang out together, worship together, and take care of each other. And God's going to add daily who's being saved. Like we're going to be used by God to get the message of the gospel out. But when people come in, they're going to be part of this church, this community, this family. Like this is so different than what I think it's been the last many decades. But within this concept of fellow, there's this need for forgiveness. So we go back to Mark. He's first introduced in Acts chapter 13. Paul and Barnabas are going on their first missionary journey, and Barnabas says, hey, let's bring John. You'll see it in the book of Acts, John. John is his Jewish name, and Mark or Marcus is his Gentile name, or his Greek name, or his Latin name. And so he says, okay, so let's bring him. And so they're on their way, and by verse 13, John goes, I want to go home. I want to go home. I'm done. Anybody remember when you were younger what it felt like to be homesick? Like when you're older, you're like, I'm I'm good. We can be out. Let's be out. Let's go. Let's get out of here for just a little bit. But when you're young, maybe that's the first time. Remember that? When your first time you're gonna spend the night at somebody else's house, and I don't even know if that happens anymore anymore, but it's like I remember the first time and it was down kind of down by Knott'sbury Farm, and it was this these family friends, and I remember going to sleep and not really going to sleep and waking up and going, I wanna go home. It's like, I don't know, twelve thirty in the morning, I wanna go home. And they're like trying to calm me. They're like, you're gonna you're gonna be okay. Like you just put your like close your eyes and oh, I wanna go home. And so then dad had to come pick me up and drive me home. And then I wake up the next morning going, dad, I want to go back. <laughs> but it's that, I, I just got to go home. I want to go home. And that's what happened to him. And you get to chapter 15, verse 40, 36 to 41, second missionary journey. Watch what happens. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with him John, called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn. The word withdrawn, I looked it up, it means to desert or to abandon. I think Paul's kind of holding on to a little bit of a grudge. It's like, I'm not taking him, I'm not taking him again. He abandoned us. Guys, I feel like most, as, as I've read, I don't, don't quote me, but I feel like the things that I've read about Mark, he's a young guy at this time. And this is a big deal. I mean, you're going with Paul. The things that happened to Paul, I'm not sitting there. If, if I'm new in the faith and I'm watching Paul getting almost stoned to death and whipped and put in prison, I'm not sitting there going, yeah, I want to go with him. Might be a little much at the time. But Paul says, I'm not, I don't want to take out who withdrew or who has withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose such a, or there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Man, Paul does not like Mark. Doesn't want him. And then you get to this verse, and he's mentioned here. He's mentioned here in verse 4. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark. Mark is with him. You get to 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is thought as the, the last letter that Paul would write before he's beheaded because he loves Jesus. And what's Paul say about him? He says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark. Get Mark and bring him with you for he is very useful to me for ministry. Guys, when you start looking at the storyline of Mark and Paul, that there is this push against, that Paul has this push against him, but at the end of his life, 
Toward the end, there is this drawing towards. Like, bring Mark. Like, I can't get out, but bring Mark. He's shown himself to be useful to me. I wrote this in my notes. Within this living life together, there needs to be grace available for forgiveness and reconciliation when we offend and hurt one another. Friends, this has to happen. And working in church life and church world, well, pretty much it's been my only job. A lot of times what happens is that when a person is offended or has been offended or they offend someone else and then there's a little bit of a conversation that maybe starts, it's just easier not to deal with it for keeping peace and then just bolt and go to another church. Just become part of another community. And never enter into the, this, this idea that we're called to actually reconcile with each other. Guys, there's a reason that the scriptures say, bear with one another. Forgive one another as completely as the Lord has forgiven you. But why do I need to bear with one another? I mean, if we're all followers of Jesus, we're just gonna get along all the time, right? It's just gonna be perfect. Like, I can, Spirit of God's in you, Spirit of God's in me. There's never been a disagreement. Guys, Chris, we, we fight over the same things that everyone else does. Guys, I heard, I once heard of a church split. Why? Because an elder didn't get enough ham at their potluck. Like he gets to the ham section, he's like, where's the ham? It's all gone. He didn't get any ham. He's like, I'm starting. I'm just starting. Then the fight starts. And the church actually split. The root of it was no ham. The unclean animal before it was said it was clean caused the division of a body of believers. And we say, come to our family. We're just as dysfunctional. What I love about this is Paul's just mentioning names. Doesn't it just sound kind of normal? Like you're on the phone with somebody and someone's with you. It's like, oh, you're talking to them. Hey, tell me, say hello. It's like that. That's what's happening. It's like he's getting ready to close the light. Oh, make sure Eric starts it. Make sure, I, I want, make sure they know I said hello. Mark too. Oh, I said hello. Get to verse 11. And Jesus, who is called justice. These are the only, watch. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God and they have been a comfort to me. And here's why I think forgiveness still fits this. Jesus, or not Jesus, but Paul started out as a person who persecuted the church, right? When the church started, it was all Jewish people who came to know Christ. Paul was a persecutor of the church and now he has these names that are mentioned who were Jewish Christians and he says, they're my fellow workers and they've been a great comfort to me. The one who used to be the persecutor of the church was now the persecuted for Christ and other followers of Jesus saw him as family and part of the body of believers. There is something unifying that happens when a person comes to Christ, or it's supposed to be that way. That Jesus is supposed to unify. If we can take one who hated the church, saw that the Christians were arrested and dragged off out of their homes, applauded at the murdering of Jesus lovers, who would then become one and who would then be surrounded and protected and taken care of by those whom he persecuted before. Doesn't it lead us to believe that this actually is true, that amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me, 
I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. A hymn written by a once slave trader who would then come to Christ and be part of the movement to abolish slavery, to abolish the transatlantic slave trade, all because of Jesus and surrounded by community. Guys, I know for those of us that are introverts, I get it, like I'm alone, I'm happy. Alone is different than lonely. I like my alone time, but even as an introvert, there's times where I go, I need to talk to someone. And there's times where like, I'm, I'm, I'm the one, I, our offices are all home, those of us who are on staff, we all work from home, and after a while, Bella, our puppy, I can only take her for so long, and there's not a whole lot of give and take in the communication there. And so sometimes I feel like once Kelly comes home and she comes to my office, it's like, okay, let me just, let me vomit everything out. Let me just tell you what happened. Hey, I typed letters today. I checked in and feel I just keep going. And she's like, you're so great. You're so great. You're so great. Even the introvert in me needs to have people. Isn't it amazing to see among my fellow workers, here's the unifying part, friends. For the kingdom of God, that is what is supposed to unify us. I don't care if you vote blue or red. Those are not the kingdoms that we're committed to. We're committed to Jesus and his kingdom. It's about Christ and his kingdom. Isn't it amazing that in Acts chapter two, as the church is going, you get down to Acts chapter eight, when the persecution of the church happens, at no point do you see church members gathering papyrus on sticks to what? To stand against the Roman Empire. I'm gonna, I'm gonna protest. I'm gonna protest the government. Why? They didn't do it. They were so focused on getting the gospel out because they were convinced you change the person, you change the community. You change the community, you can bring any empire down to what? To worship Jesus. It's about his kingdom. Is that not what we pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want to see a broken world act like a bunch of followers of Jesus. We need to give them Jesus. We need to share the gospel. Isn't that how you were changed? Isn't that how I was changed? And it's still a responsibility we've been given today. I look at fellow workers for the kingdom, the thing that unified them. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. It's all about the kingdom of God. Push the kingdom of God. Do not stop. It all comes back to the kingdom of God. And I feel like church, over the last many decades, the focus, the focus hasn't been crystal clear and we get, we get splintered out onto different things. And it seems like the things that we get splintered out on, there's a little bit more immediate gratification. It's like, I get something from this. I can see things happen or I can control it. Guys, you know how frustrated it is? Guys, there's, 
I feel like there's jobs where you can, you do the job, you check it off the box, right? You check the box, you're done, you're done, you're done. Here's one of the things that's hard when it comes to people. You're never done. You're never done. Always loving and caring for people. Always loving for that neighbor that even though they might hate you and give you the finger when you go in the house, you keep loving them. We just do what we can to bring Jesus to people that they could know him. Why? Because it's the purpose of the church. Love God with everything. Love your neighbors yourself. Go make disciples who make disciple makers. That's what we're about because I believe that's what the scriptures tell us that we're supposed to be about. Because do we truly believe that people need the gospel? Do we actually believe that people that don't know Christ will spend eternity away from him in hell, away from God? Do we actually believe that? Because if we do, we will focus on what it is that God called the church to be. We'll devote ourselves to the scriptures. We'll devote ourselves to the fellowship. We'll devote ourselves to the breaking of bread and to prayers. We're gonna hang out together, worship together, take care of each other, and then say, God, who's the one you want us to impact? And see God add day by day those who are being saved. All this, Paul's saying, fellow prisoners and my fellow workers, we're all in this together for the kingdom of God, and they have brought me great comfort. How could that be? He's in prison. I mean, how could he have great comfort? He's in prison just because he loves Jesus. Guys, have you ever noticed how close you can get to a group of people when you're working on something together? Guys, I've done, I've done, I did youth ministry for a lot of years. Camps, they were fine. I love camps. But it, was it the most unifying time? Sometimes. And sometimes it was also the most drama-ridden event of the year. It's like, this person said this and this. I thought they liked him. And I was like, oh, here we go. But here's the thing. When we took students to Rainbow Acres, which is a... It's a ranch in Arizona for the developmentally disabled. When we would take them for four days, it was the most unifying experience that we would take them over Memorial Day weekend so it was a little warm. But all the experience of us sweating and hurting together and sleeping on the floor, but the older, older ones of us had air mattresses, but we still did it, so we're there. But I mean, we're painting and we're helping this small little church and then we're doing work on the property of the ranch and then we throw together this wannabe country, country line dancing thing for all the, all the people that lived at the ranch and it was so fun. And I don't even like dancing. But on the way back, when we got home, that crew was always united. Because when you suffer together, there's something about suffering that draws us together. For those that played sports or are playing sports, there's a reason why the first two weeks is so difficult and you're thrown up in a bucket together and there's just something weirdly amazing about that experience. Because by the end of the season, you are tight because you've suffered and you've worked through things together. Church, when we do that together, we're united. When we serve together, we're united. When we pray together, we're united. When we go out and meet people and bring them in to know Christ and we're celebrating what God's been doing all week, we're coming together. Guys, there's something about community. It's not just get into a place and do something just because. No, let's have true community that's based upon something that's lasting. Because believe it or not, we're stuck with each other for eternity, so we better get along. 
So as the worship team comes back up, I wrote this in my notes. We as followers of Jesus are called to walk through life together, serve together, worship together, pray together, and make disciples together. Opportunities to walk through life together. Chris had said it before, home churches. Friends, if you've never been part of one, please let us know. We'd love to get you connected to one. You're like, what is it? Here's what ours does. For the first hour, we meet once a week on a Wednesday. For the first hour, we're just eating together. I don't like food. Yes, you do. Stop lying. Okay, so we, we do. We just have a meal together. Why? Because it's biblical. It's in the book of Acts. Here's something. I'm having this Hawaiian barbecue. Yes, again. Why? Because it's biblical. Because we're supposed to eat. So we eat together. And we joke and we laugh. And there's kids that come. It's all ages. It's not just same age, same stage. It's everybody. Because isn't that what Thanksgiving and Christmas look like? The family comes together. And we read the scriptures together. We pray together. We show up to each other's stuff. We go to eight-year-old baseball games. You're doing life together. Not just another Bible study, but family. Men, you you get together once a month to go have some breakfast at seven in the morning. If gatherings are coming back, women, hang in there. To have a time where you sit around a table and answer questions and get to know one another. Marriage builders is happening here. Prime timers, you're always hanging out. Today, where are we gonna eat? And then here's the thing. What if there's not an event that really gets me in? Here's what you do. Here's the, this is the next event for you. This is all it takes. You just walk up and go, hi, I'm, and say your name. And then see where the conversation goes. Welcome back to kindergarten. We will do certain things, but it's also your responsibility and my responsibility to engage in the community and not wait for people to just hold our hands and move us to a place. Opportunities, opportunities to serve together. Friends, we, need, we, have, we have needs for set up and tear down people. We have needs in the tech ministry. We have needs in the kids and nursery. We have needs in Ignite City students. And then we get to dream. What is it else that God might be calling you or I to do? Opportunities to pray together. Do you realize every, mo- every Sunday morning, 9.15, Lost in, the Lost and Bride, they pray over here in Mod 3. We'd love to see people show up just to pray. You say, just to pray. Yeah, pray. What else are we going to do? We're going to pray. The most powerful thing we could do is pray because we're speaking to the one who has all power. And to become and to move into a place where a community that depends on it, believes in the power of prayer. For those of you that remember midweek worship gatherings, we're in the works to have a midweek worship and prayer night on a regular basis after the first of the year, to partner with Granite Creek Church right down the street, to use their facilities, to get together for the sole purpose, not to push our church, their church, but to come together as brothers and sisters and to pray and to worship God. Opportunities to make disciples. We have discipleship groups. And every, every week asking, hey, who's the one that you're supposed to impact? Friends, use the Connect card if you're interested in any of those. But this is the community that we're supposed to be a part of. This is us. This is the church. And this is our time. You want to plug in? Plug in. You're like, I'm not ready for that. That's okay. But I'm telling you, you are missing out on one 
what the community of God feels like. And when you experience the community of God, it'll change your life too. You're missing out on the full discipleship process for we're called to serve, we're called to be in community, we're called to go make disciples. All that is part of discipleship. And when we take one out, and I don't wanna do that part, friends, we're limping along rather than walking. This is the community. Welcome to the church. We're a family. We're brothers and sisters in Jesus. We're fellow prisoners, we're fellow workers, here and with believers all over the world with one purpose. We're gonna love God, love people, and make disciples. And God will unite us, and God will add daily those who are being saved. Before we go into this last song, if you have your communion elements, this is the time. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is for you. If you're not, this isn't a time for you. This isn't a judgment thing, but this is a time for followers of Jesus to remember. At a moment, a couple thousand years ago, Jesus broke bread in front of his disciples at the Last Supper and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He took the cup and he said, hey, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Why do I think that the early church continually devoted themselves to, the, to this in their love feast to always do communion together? Why? Because it's really hard to be an arrogant, jerky Christian when you remember what Jesus went through. I'm humbled when I think Jesus took a cross for me and he died for the sins of the world. While I was an enemy, he died for me. So therefore, those who I decide are my enemy cannot be my enemy because Jesus died for them. I'm humbled. Before we take, you're supposed to ask God, is there anything in my life that is rebellious, is sin against you? And you wait and let the Holy Spirit, if he brings anything to your mind, you just say, you're right. You confess it. And then you take with grateful hearts. And so this, instead of me saying, this is when you're gonna take the bread and eat, this is when you're gonna drink, not this time, but for this morning, what we're gonna do is you just go before God. God, is there anything? Is there anything? And if he brings something to mind, confess it. If after you've taken communion, if you are willing to pray with people, if you would stand along the sides and if you want prayer for anything, you can just go to them and they would love to pray for you, okay? Let's pray. God, we thank you. Thank you that you gave us each other. You, you left the church, the hope of the world. Thank you, God, that you gave us community. You created it. God, please, please help this be a community. Help, help me as I lead and other leaders as we lead and all of us who are part of this community. God, help us. Oh, may, help us make this community that kind of community that you applaud over. Teach us from your word what we're to be like. Forgive us for where we fall short and thank you for grace. God, we love you and as we take communion, God, to you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you all more than you know.